Hello and welcome to Weebspawn, where we talk about anything and everything related to anime and gaming. We are by no means experts, just huge fans. I'm your host, Bobby, and with me is Joshua. Hello, Bobby. Glad to be doing this episode. And because this episode's post date is September 28th, we've determined that it's close enough to be considered October, which is spooky season. So let's ease into our spooky season with an action game that revolves around zombies in a city-wide quarantine known as Dying Light. And as always, spoilers ahead. I, I really like that spooky season. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. Nice touch. <laughs> I couldn't help but for some reason whenever I see spooky, mm-hmm. I had to like say it like that. It's really funny because I was going to do it if you weren't, so <laughs> it's perfect. All right. This game is a first-person action game set in an apocalyptic city filled with zombies. But the one thing that really sets this game apart that uh, is that the method of transportation is parkour. It's very strange, yes, and it almost seems unappealing because if you told me like there's a zombie game that just is solely based around parkour, I'd, I'd be a little indifferent about this. But they did it really well. And in my opinion, it's like probably one of the most fun zombie games out there. And it's not just the parkour, but um, it also has to do with the co-op and stuff. But uh, we will talk about that a little later. So... Dying Light was developed by Techland, who is known for their contribution in developing the Dead Island games. They have a few other games, but I haven't played them, but they look pretty interesting, one of them being Arise. It looks like a really gorgeous story and a gorgeous journey, just looking into it. But I haven't played any of the games, so I can't really give an opinion based on that. But I have played Dead Island and Dying Light. Dying Light began development in 2012, but it didn't get released until January 26th of 2015. It received praise from critics over their combat, their graphics, co-op multiplayer navigation, and the dynamic daylight cycles. Sorry, day-night cycles. said daylight. (laughs) The parts that were criticized were the story, the difficulty, and some technical issues. But what game doesn't have some technical issues? Overall, the game was a success, managing to gain 17 million players by the end of 2019. And I'm honestly surprised the game managed to continue growing its player count after four years of being out. That seems like a pretty amazing feat, but they did release some DLCs to keep the game going. And they also had a multiplayer game mode that was pretty fun. I didn't play a whole lot of it, but the parts I did play were pretty enjoyable. The biggest emphasis on the game, aside from uh, the zombies, is the parkour, and they actually hired a parkour expert to consult with to make sure the movements were realistic, which is really cool. They have a lot of solid player model like animations to go off of to figure out how to get this parkour to act right and feel natural. And the parkour was something they were not willing to get rid of for this game, so they had to scrap a lot of their story elements and recreate them in order to get them to work with these parkour elements and fulfill the taste 
of an American audience is one of the quotes that I saw. Not really 100% sure what they mean by an American audience, like trying to satisfy our taste. And I know American audiences can be a little picky, but whatever they did have to change to suit us, I feel like it worked. They had 17 million players, so it worked, and it was still a really enjoyable game and a lot of fun. So I think they did pretty well. And diving into a little bit of the story, Dying Light, once again, takes place in the fictional city of Haran. You're an undercover GRE agent named Kyle Crane sent into the quarantine city where a viral zombie outbreak has taken place. Your goal? To retrieve a confidential file that was stolen from the GRE, and after allying with a local resistance group, you proceed to gain their trust and help them while fulfilling your duties with the GRE. Which, throughout this, like the game, you kind of get that conflict of like self-interest and the GRE starting to learn a little bit more like whose side are you truly on it's kind of like a a moral dilemma you also kind of face so this game is a zombie game as we've been saying and it takes the typical zombie themes and play style and it takes it one step further and I mentioned earlier about the dynamic day night cycles so in the daytime, you have your typical zombie hordes, and they're massive hordes, but they're slow, and they basically just overwhelm you in power in groups. They're not that strong, and they can easily corner you and kill you if you're not paying attention. Through leveling up and upgrades, these hordes become easier to manage and take care of. But once the sun goes down, the entire tone of the game shifts. You are no longer the fastest, strongest one out there. Darkness of the Night brings on a brand new terror as these slow defenseless zombies mutate into extremely powerful and fast monsters that hunt you down. The hunter has become the hunted. And traversing the night can be very difficult even with high levels and upgraded weapons. And as you kind of briefly mentioned, the whole day-night cycle is heavily praised as well. Because it not only, it didn't also help elevate the gameplay, it also works with the parkour because you are very, you have a very high dexterity and agility through this. You even level up your agility to get new skill sets from parkour and like jumping off rooftops. You can even like jump off zombie heads at one point once you upgraded the skill. And it makes it so you have a lot more ways to not only move around the city, but to fight this undead horde. It's not just run down the street, oh, there's a horde. You have to either annihilate all of them, try to run through them, or backtrack. No, if you see a horde on the street, you can just be like, all right, let me just climb on this wall jump over here, jump on this, oh, look, now I'm on a rooftop, now I can go away from them. But there are still some zombies on the rooftop, so it's not just a safe place, or there will be some portions where it's too far of a distance, so you have to get on the ground. But it just makes it a lot more open now, and so you can do a lot more and get kind of get creative on how you want to do it. 
And one of the final things that sets this game apart is its absolutely fantastic co-op multiplayer. Now, we talked about this briefly in our last po- No, it wasn't our last podcast. Was it our last podcast? Uh, two podcasts ago. Last two one was podcasts. Naruto. Yeah. Two podcasts ago on our single-player versus multiplayer episode. The co-op is very similar to the Dead Island games, mainly because Techland also helped develop Dead Island. So if you ever if you played one, it's pretty much identical to the other. And the multiplayer allows you to join friends in the game and help them complete missions and collect resources. Now the best part about this is if you're in one game, kind of how I mentioned briefly before, you bring everything that you have like in your inventory with you to the other game. So you don't have to start out from scratch or you don't only have your weapons and then you have to find everything else. And if whatever resources you collect in that game, you also get to keep when you go back to your original game. And not only that, if you are, if say someone's at mission six and you're mission four and the mission six person comes to help you on mission four, once you guys both get to mission six and then you stay on them and complete that one and go to mission seven when you leave your mission six will be completed as well so it saves both progress in your game and your friend's game so you don't have to worry about joining your friend's game beating a couple missions and then having to redo it on your own you actually just get to do it all at once and you don't have to worry about basically starting over from scratch which I think is a fantastic thing that they did. Yeah, yeah, that's super fantastic because nothing is more annoying than being like one level apart and then completing a mission for your friend and then going back to your game and needing to recomplete the same exact mission. It's like, oh, that it would just be so frustrating if that was the case. So I'm glad they managed to combine the co-ops like that. Really appreciate it. So, let's get into the gameplay, shall we? The game had a total of 14 main missions, 38 side missions, and they had some side challenges and some quarantine zones to clear, which I was not aware, looking back at it, how short this game actually was. Mainly because probably the storylines, or the side story missions, that's the side missions, really drew your attention away from the story missions so it wasn't very obvious how short the game actually is throughout the game we play as kyle crane as earlier mentioned he's the undercover gre agent that has been airdropped into the quarantine city of haran in order to retrieve that confidential file that we believe has been stolen by a kadir Suleiman. he is using it as blackmail to extort the GRE. We don't quite know what exactly his goals are with this. All we know is we need to retrieve this file. So immediately after landing, Kyle finds himself in a pretty bad situation. He is attacked by an infected and he is fighting to survive. Luckily, some survivors uh, named Amir and Jade Aldemir rescue him, but not before he is bitten and infected. But Jade takes him back to the sanctuary called the Tower, which happens to be a tower. So, very original. 
While he's here, he gets a shot of antizen, which slows the infection rate of this disease, of this virus. And in order to continue getting shots, he needs to prove his worth to help the tower, and he needs to complete some main objectives. So, Crane must do some running missions for the tower and retrieve an airdrop of antizen before the opposing group of survivors gets to it first. Now, in order to prove he's worthy of working at the tower, he must get to the airdrop, and there are two airdrops that actually come. And the first one you make it to, Crane gets there, and he goes, Hey, it's pick clean, Amir's guys, or not Amir, uh, what, what's the... Kadir. Kadir. Kadir's guys already got it, or whoever already got to it, and he's like, all right, we'll go to the second one. But as he gets to the second one, of course, he's contacting the his GRE buddies, and they're like, yeah, no, we're going to need you to destroy that. Don't give it to the tower, because we need you to make contact with the opposing group, because we need to know who their leader is. So at least one thing I had to say about this thing is Crane makes the smart decision of grabbing a few antisons for himself because he is infected and I thought he was going to be kind of like the dumb main character and just throw it all away, but he does actually take a few for himself. So I got to give him some praise for that. But also during this mission is the first time you are introduced to the night cycle which if you don't know when it turns to night the volatiles start to awaken now this is the first time you ever see the volatiles and holy crap do they scare the living shit out of you when you first play now if you haven't played this do not look up any pictures do not look up any <laughs> gameplays play up until this point i beg of you before doing anything else, before looking into what anything else is already looks like, because I guarantee you this is one experience you want to ex- want to have for yourself. Because after this, you have to book your ass into the tower and try not to die. And I I think honestly, my first time playing, I'm pretty sure I didn't make it. I'm, I'm almost sure positive I didn't, I didn't make it. <laughs> because, like, you get so scared, and then you're like, crap, you almost forget, like, all the controls. You're just trying to run your ass back to this tower. Right, Ugh. plus you're pretty new at the game at that point, and it's just chaos, adrenaline's pumping, and it's like, oh my god, there's this fucking creature chasing me. It's just absolutely terrifying. I don't think I made it back my first time either. It's, But it's one of the best missions to... If you played it and you're introducing someone to it, it's the best mission to watch them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So, after after this failed airdrop, because he destroyed it, after this failed airdrop recovery, the tower has to make a deal with Rice. Rice is Kadir. It's just his alias, I suppose. I don't know why they call him two different names but we're i think we should refer to him as rice from now on because i believe that's just what they call him so the leader of this group that is and he he is the leader of this group that is hoarding the airdrops this deal is used by kyle crane to 
determine that Rise is the rogue GRE operative that they are looking for, the one that stole these files. So you occupy this mission, like you join them on this little deal. And after this meeting, Kyle confirms that this is the guy they're looking for. So he needs to kind of get on the good side of the tower and he needs to be able to figure out how to get the files that he's looking for. So after this mission here, Kyle goes on a mission to collect tissue samples for the tower from a zombie that is mutated. And they have reason to believe that this zombie will help them develop a cure for this infection. After collecting the sample, Crane and Jade make a plan to steal Antizen from Rice's warehouse. There's like a lot of little subplots going on because Crane has his little GRE operative mission that he's trying to do. He's trying to win the trust of the tower as well as get on the good side of just the people himself because he still needs Antizen in the long term if he's going to fulfill this because he will be, in, be turned into a zombie if he doesn't continue to get Antizen. So he needs this to benefit him as well. So they go to Rice's warehouse where they believe there's Antizen stored but instead they find explosives. And long story short, this leads to them to be like, hey, let's blow up this hive. That is a house to a bunch of volatiles. And bringing it down would make the streets of Haran safer. So let's just do this instead too. Like, let's just keep piling on a bunch of shit when we're dying of Vantazin. Let's put ourselves in more danger. But this bombing leads to the death of a group member who is Jade's brother, as well as uh, Rise finding out about stealing the explosive. So this really pisses Rise off. Jade's mad at you for allowing this hive mission to kill her brother. And it's just a shit show of stuff going on. Yeah, this is kind of like the intersecting point of like a lot of the subplots that are coming together because as I kind of mentioned earlier you kind of had this moral dilemma going on about like the GRE the survivors here in Haran and like all this stuff that is going down with Raya, Raya's GRE Antizen what the hell is actually going off <laughs> so of course Rise is pissed off about the attack with us stealing the explosives and everything. Because, I mean, why wouldn't he? I think when we first meet him, he's chopping off a dude's hand because he stole, like, two vials of Antizen or something like that. If that doesn't help paint a picture for you. And so, Rise decides to attack the tower's research lab and kidnap the scientist that is developing the cure. And he actually, you know, ends up killing him. But he kills him after you learn that the research and the results he found is with Jade. But then you're like, alright, well, I just need to contact Jade. Well, she's gone because of the whole explosive thing and her brother dying and all that stuff. So you're just like, okay, so. Rise just retaliated. Solo only hoped for the cure. Killed him. Now we know where the plants are. But the person who knows it is gone. So your shit show still doesn't get any better. 
So now you have to go and try to find her. So we eventually moved from the slums to a new map called Old Town. And in Old Town, we are searching for Jade when we find out that the GRE is actually planning on to weaponize the virus. And not to, you know, add salt to the wound. They are broadcasting to the entire world that the city is completely evacuated. There are no, there are no survivors in Haran. There is no war going on in Haran. <laughs> and they're about to completely bomb the shit out of this city. So your shit show just became even more bigger. And you're like, oh, great. <laughs> Not only do I have to find this person in a zombie-filled town, I had to find this person before it all gets blown away to smithereens. Yeah. Shit show got shittier. I'm, so, so yeah, we're in Old Town. And I have to say real quick that this is probably my favorite part of the map because of just how, like, pretty it looks. And the environment really changes. You have a lot more rooftops, I feel like. There's a lot more buildings to go into and find supplies as well as just run through and avoid zombies and stuff like that. So it really added to the 3D aspect of the navigation and it was really cool to, to go through. So, to make the world aware that people are still alive inside the group, or inside the city, the group wants to set up some explosives in this skyscraper and detonate them in a way that the world would know that humans intentionally did this. So they explode some explosives through the windows of this skyscraper in the shape of a frowny face <laughs> to show their displease for the GRE <laughs> and what they are doing. But immediately after this has been shown, we see a, a jet flying over the city and it immediately destroys the building that we set off explosives in. So now the world can't see our sign. And once again, we're at stage... We're back to square one, where the world has no idea of our existence. But after that, they managed to get a radio tower up and get radio contact to the outside world. They managed to send a message and say that there are humans alive and well inside of Haran. And this forces Jerry's hand into standing down and not blowing up an entire fucking city because that's a huge PR disaster. You do not want that. Yeah. PR is the reason why they don't want to destroy who knows thousands of lives because not because it's morally wrong, but because of the PR backlash. Imagine their stocks would plummet after that, man. You can't you can't just go up blowing up cities that living people are inside. But we're still on the search for Jade and the research. We we avoided one disaster, but we still got another on our hands because Rise also wants this research. So, as we're searching, we finally make our way to a museum where we find her. And Rise stole the research from her, and also she managed to get infected in the process. So, we have this whole reunion with her. But Rise locks us up and tells us, You have one vial of Antizen, fight for it. And Crane's like, Use it, Jade. Like, I'm not gonna use this antizen i want you to survive and she's like no crane i want you to survive 
<laughs> so she manages to give Crane the antizen, and she turns into an infected, and you have to kill her. Such kill a... that bitch. <laughs> yes. Such a Romeo and Juliet story. Bitches but ain't shit not. but hoes and tricks. So Crane basically killed the person that he started to have an emotional connection to. He doesn't have the research. And he finds out Rise is going to use the research to trade with the GRE and get an evacuation out of this godforsaken city. Oh, God. So Crane's like, well, I can't fucking have this. Like, I'm not really a fan of the GRE anymore, so I'll probably go and steal this research. But Rise is going up to the top of a building to get evac'd from... But how are we going to get up there, you ask? Well, good thing we're good at parkour. We're going to climb this motherfucker. So through this whole cinematic of us climbing this tower and reaching it at the top just before the helicopter arrives, we fight off Rise and we steal his sample, like the research, right before the helicopter gets there. And we're like, yo, I got the research. You can fuck off. And by the end of the day, or by the end of the game, Crane fully abandons the GRE, and he continues to live his life in Haran to help the survivors until they find a cure. Because he believes that this small group of nobodies can save mankind. But I believe they can save Haran! <laughs> Just when you needed him the most, he vanished. <laughs> Now, I haven't played any of the DLCs for this game, so I can't really... Dis- I don't think you have either, honestly, but I don't think I've we I've played dis- every single one of them. Have you? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't think we can talk about any of the DLCs and what goes on in them, because I don't know what happens. But by the end of this game, it's kind of a cliffhanger setting up for the second one, but then I, I learned that the second game actually has a brand new protagonist so i don't know if crane dies or if we're going to follow a different person is it still in haran different i think it might be in a different city too actually no it says oh okay it's still because i think i read somewhere that it'll be a brand new character as well the role of aiden cam caldwell so we're no longer following our boy kyle crane so I'm just going to assume he's dead. Well, Dying Light 2 will probably shed light on what's going on with the research <laughs> and everything. Get it? Shed light? Dying light? That's <laughs> <Piece of> a <laughs> shit. <laughs> so, anyway. as well, That's basically sums up the storyline. Like I said, it's pretty fucking short, but you have a shit ton of side missions to do. And I found the side missions really enjoyable. They didn't seem over cumbersome or repetitive to me, at least. I don't know if you feel the same way. No, I think they were pretty good. I think there was only a few that were as in repetitive as in like, oh, go find this, go search that. But other than that, like it was pretty much like it wasn't really repetitive, like the same exact thing. Like, oh, good job. You like on a lot of games where it's like, oh, go find this. You'll have to kill a zombie or something. And then it's like, oh, while down the road, you had to do the exact same thing, but with a newer zombie. It wasn't like that, I don't think. Yeah. 
So as we mentioned earlier, they did receive a lot of criticism and a lot of praise in a few different topics. So let's talk about those topics real quick and see whether we agree or disagree with their opinions. And before we talk about the reviews in general, game reviews typically don't mean shit in terms of how good a game really is most of the time. Because there are plenty of good games out there with real shitty reviews and a lot of bad games out there with a bunch of good reviews. So it all depends on what the player thinks. But let's see if there's some truth to these reviews. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so it was praised for the combat graphics, co-op multiplayer, navigation, and dynamic daylight cycles. So let's start off with combat. And a quote from IGN regarding the game's combat was... Meanwhile, although it never quite loses its awkwardness, even the expertly shredding, expertly shredding zombies with elementally charged tools of death I built myself, strikes are still heavy and clumsy. While games, while guns you'll find later can pop heads from a distance, their low rate of fire and zombie attracting noise makes them more of an occasional quick fix than a game-changing weapon. Dun, dun, dun. So for me, I don't know if it's maybe I'm a little used to kind of games like this. Maybe it's because of Skyrim or The Witcher, but a lot of like RPGs already kind of had this combat system already. And yes, if you're not used to it or if you pick up the game after like a few months of not playing it, Yes, it's still a little awkward, but for me, once I play through that initial phase and play a few missions, it's honestly not really noticeable unless you're doing like a heavy attack with like a two-handed weapon because then it does a little bit dramatize how it kind of is, where it's like, like that, (laughs) if you can imagine the motion I kind of did while saying that. (laughs) But as for the gun portion, I want to say this isn't your typical, like, shoot-em-up zombie game. Like, Nazi zombies, Left 4 Dead, I'm drawing a blank on some of the other ones. But those are kind of like the popular ones that come up to me where they're all about the guns. And they're like, oh, if you get, like, the ray gun, it one-shots. This game isn't meant to be a gun game it's meant more for the melee weapons and the recipes you unlock to get those electrifying weapons to get the mods to get the attachments on it that makes it a lot more fun and i think quirky to it because i rather have a freaking electrified machete than a semi-automatic weapon and I think it just, because this game almost wanted more realism, that's kind of why I like the parkour and the first-person perspective. I feel it emphasizes more on wanting to use the melee weapons. That's why there's so many different recipes, why there's so many different mods to add, and why you can repair them, why you have to keep finding them, because they do wear and tear and break down. So when it's like, oh... I want a quick fix for the stupid gun thing. I think, well, yeah, it's not meant to be a gun game. And they're loud. Like, if this was a real zombie apocalypse, if you've seen The Walking Dead, they 
in the first like episode, the dude uses a gun and he's like, I shouldn't have used that. Now there's so many zombies. Yeah, you're not supposed to be loud during a zombie apocalypse. But that's just my opinion. I completely agree. I think the combat does have its awkwardnesses. And like you said, this game is not meant to be a gun-based game. Like, honestly, it doesn't feel right when you do get a gun. To me, personally. It's just like, I don't want to use it because it's so satisfying, for one, to use a melee weapon to just annihilate these hordes. And two, like you said, it's just not realistic. But I think it's difficult for any game company... To get rid of all the awkward components to combat in a first-person shooter. A first-person shooter game, or just a first-person game in general, typically doesn't have a natural feel to them. Because the field of vision isn't natural at all. You can't replicate the human eye as of right now, unless you go to VR probably. You can't really replicate that vision we would have, so just immediately something's off in general. And the, purport, the positions of the hands and weapons in the f- camera's frame just aren't normal. So right there, you just inherently have awkwardness. But with all that said, despite the awkwardness, the combat was easy to control. And as you leveled up, you would be rewarded through stronger weapons, better blueprints. And you could just slice through enemies with ease, which is really enjoyable. And I think just overall... Judging the game's combat based on the awkwardness isn't fair. But luckily, the large majority of gaming reviews praise the combat, so I think they were able to overlook it. I think this IGN quote was looking at the wrong things in general. And not to keep just keep going on, but again, one last thing I just want to say about the gun portion as well, when it's like, oh, it was a quick fix... Like, even while I played it, yeah, because you can hold up to four weapons. I would always have a gun on me, don't get me wrong, just in case I did need more of that long-range perspective. Like, there are propane tanks throughout the game that you can use and cause explosions and big damage. So, there are times where it's like, yeah, if you're fighting kind of like these boss-type monsters, like the goon, that is a little harder to kill than the typical normal zombie, you could throw one of those sounds beyond like a balcony or something and shoot it like once so it doesn't attract too many zombies, but then the explosion goes off and pretty much almost kills the goon or at least gets it low. So the gun is there to help you, but as we keep saying, it's more about the melee weapons. The guns are kind of like in... A bonus I would say to it because not only that I think it was a little hard to find ammo if I'm not mistaken the mm-hmm. game didn't really want you to rely on guns it wanted you to rely on your ability to use like parkour and the melee weapons and even the skills brought to you with the melee weapons there were even throwing weapons so you didn't even necessarily need the guns it was more like hey Here's a gun in case you want to use it. Completely agree. The next thing that was highly praised on this game were the graphics. It was um, considered very well done, especially for its time in 2015. So I was 
think we should talk about that and see if we agree with the critiques on the graphics as well. So unlike a lot of, well, I, I don't want to say a lot of gamers because I, I do feel the graphics portion has kind of mellowed out, but I'm not going to lie, it may sound a little weird for me saying this, but graphics are not a make it or break it type deal for me as long as I find it visually pleasing and it's not like over the top completely bad because I mean for instance Minecraft and Twisted Metal 2 are one of my all-time favorite games to play and if you know anything about them if you look at their graphics Twisted Metal 2 I'll just straight up tell you it's pretty much atrocious but the gameplay and just playing the game maybe a little bit nostalgia's bias towards it as well but I still I still love it but getting back onto Dying Light, I almost said Dead Island, <laughs> Dying Light, I do have to admit they have a pretty good eye to detail, especially when it came to like the miscellaneous stuff, which for me, I find a little more intriguing than just, oh, look at this building they did. It's like, yes, it's something you're climbable on, so they're going to put a little more detail to it. But like, just the broken cars throughout the games you see, the balconies off of each section. Stuff you don't normally look at, they still had like the attention to detail. So because this game, you could interact with the environment like almost immensely and everything. They did put like those details in it. They didn't just like paste, I mean, who knows? They could have just pasted a model and I, I don't know. But for me, it was more like those Kind of like the little things spread out, not the buildings and stuff that a lot of games make to look pretty because they know you're going to look at it, but stuff that you don't normally look at. When I did notice them, I was like, wow, they actually made this instead of just like paste and copy. So I do want to give them praise for that. Yeah, I think it was correctly praised for his graphics. The game is gorgeous. And the zombies, especially the nighttime ones when they mutated, were absolutely gorgeous but terrifying. I couldn't get enough of those zombies, but also I didn't want those fuckers near me because they were disgusting. And on top of that, going around the city was just awesome, like you've mentioned. Especially Old Town, like I said earlier, because it was, I believe, just like the richer part of the city. So all the beauty buildings were beautiful, they were upkept, and... They were well decorated, and you could climb on them, explore them, go through them, and find valuables, collectibles, and stuff like that. And even with graphics today, I think they hold up pretty well, even though it was made five years ago. Not that that's a huge difference. It's still the same system. But I've seen some of the next-gen game trailers, and some of them even look similar graphics-wise, despite them being on a better system with higher performance quality and it being five years later. So I think the graphics hold up well. And just going around, you really feel like they put a lot of work into this game. Okay. So the next one we're going to talk about is the co-op multiplayer now, we already mentioned why we thought the co-op was great earlier, and we also mentioned it briefly in the single-player versus multiplayer episodes. 
So we probably don't need to talk about it too much, but is there anything you would like to add on and mention? I just have a few comments. I already talked about how much I didn't love the co-op system in this, but one thing I do want to say is, as far as I know, there are not a whole lot of games that are like this. I know I'm kind of repeating myself, but I just think, even though there may have been some technical bugs, which we'll get into a little later, but overall, I think what they brought to this game, I wish they did more of. Not because of the whole, like, yes, there are some games you can play, like, campaign-wise, but I just, like, I just want to give them more praise on the fact that, like, you keep your resources, you keep your progression. A lot of games, yeah, you might be able to join other players, but you don't keep that progression. It's only, like, limited to there. Or sometimes there may be a game that you join, but then you lose stuff. Like, you don't get to keep all that stuff you obtained or whatever. I just want to say one more thing I'd like to praise them about the co-op system is that you do get to keep that progression. You do get to keep the items you obtain and everything while you're playing with your other friend or joining a random lobby and helping people out. Yeah, I just don't think enough games do it right. And Dying Light, uh, Techland, they definitely did it right. And I hope they continue to keep this co-op multiplayer in future games. Just because no other games really do co-op multiplayer like they do it. And I really want to see other games added to there. So this was a good thing to be praised on. So, the next one, and the, the second to last one, actually, is the navigation. Highly praised navigation in this game, and I completely agree. But, do you want to start with this? Sure. I agree as well. The waypoints, quest markers, anything on the map that you want to find is pretty easy to understand, and to like just figure out where they are because you'll have you have the big map you can put like i said your waypoint and then the little like compass thing at the top of your screen kind of tells you how it doesn't only tell you which direction to go because you're like oh i got to point it that direction it tells you like how far you need to go like 300 meters 1200 meters whatever so you kind of get a sense of distance with it the only time i think it's a little too good that makes it a pain in the ass is when you do these like search missions they'll give you like a, a circle a big circle at first like oh you need to find whatever you're looking for in this circle and sometimes if you have to find like multiple stuff it'll out like it'll be this big circle because like the five things you need to find are in this but as soon as you find like four of them then all of a sudden this circle gets really small and it's like all right what you're looking for is right here you'll search around that entire circle and you're like, it's not there. This map is wrong. I can guarantee you it is not wrong. <laughs> For some reason, you just can't fucking find it. And it pisses me off because I'm like, I know this map says it's here and I know it is here, but I can't find it. Especially when you're looking underwater for this stupid chest or this stupid herb. And I'm just like, fuck this game. 
fuck your herb. <laughs> Getting a little emotional here, but yes, it is sometimes too good that it pisses me off. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, I think the na- uh, the navigation is phenomenal, and I do know the moments you're talking about. It's super annoying. It's like, I'm right on top of this goddamn dot. Where the fuck is it? But you basically just having the ability to run and climb just about anything and give the game this extra dimension really helps with strategizing and escaping combat when you don't want to be in it. And it adds a little extra strategizing when it comes to how am I going to avoid this huge-ass mob or maybe there's some demolishers down there that you really don't want to mess with. It's like, how am I going to avoid these? So you can easily map out the area, climbing rooftops, jumping on light posts, jumping over like food stalls and just stuff like that. You can easily avoid these crowds and it adds just a little extra flair to the game that I really like. Just the pathfinding and roaming the map is a breeze. Plus you're not a slow character, you're fast, so navigating the map isn't tedious. On top of that, later in the game you unlock the grappling hook. Which, despite the unrealisticness of it, being you can just grapple to any object and get pulled to it at incredible speeds. You can even grapple towards the ground and not be hurt. doesn't really make sense, but it makes climbing (laughs) a better experience. It makes fighting a better experience. And overall, it adds just this nice speed boost and climbing boost. And it's really cool. One quick thing about the grappling hook. Though you did say it's a little unrealistic for the, especially for the thing of hitting it on the ground, I do like to say that it also gives you another like creative way to fight zombies now because if you do or like to escape, especially like at night, you can jump off a really high building and as long as you time it right, you can survive the fall. Obviously, it does come with risk, but I think adding that grappling hook not only makes it easier at some points and also gives you new ways to go about this world now yeah absolutely and since you mentioned nighttime let's talk about the dynamic day night cycle so one thing i'll say right away is i love that in this game like we kind of mentioned with the first mission not only the first mission but there are i'm pretty sure there are some main story and side missions that have you do the mission at night. You are forced to face your fears. And it honestly adds a whole new perspective to the game. Because now, while you're doing all these missions, you can, obviously, there is a way you can simply just go to a safe zone, sleep it off, and then you're done with the night cycle. But now, it's like, while you're out doing whatever missions you want, the day is always going or always happening to the point where yeah you can like mess around and like kill some zombies but you gotta be aware nighttime will come you know it's gonna creep up on you but it also gives reasons to actually clear out these safe zones now so they're not just some thing on the map where like quarantine zones or like these other side challenges you have in other games it's not just some side thing now you're like oh i actually want to do this now because night is a big portion of the game especially when you're forced to do it in a mission you want to have those safe houses cleared out so 
if you need a break from running from the volatiles or you're just like, all right, I need a breather. Now you have a reason to get those safe zones and it just adds that whole new dynamic to this game where you have to kind of keep track of the time and actually making you want to clear out these safe zones. Yeah. And like you said, it just gives you reason. And one thing I really did like about this day night is the night wasn't overly obnoxious in length. The daytime, I believe, was about an hour long, where the nighttime was about 10 minutes. And it just gives you enough time at night to hate your life, but also not hate the nighttime enough to just skip it all the time. Just just give you little bits of it that really frustrated you because these volatiles will fuck you up. But it wasn't over over obnoxious. But on top of that, I love when games include dynamic day-night cycles, especially when the nighttime brings up unknown horrors. There are only a few games off the top of my head that I can think of that include a day-night like this, which is Minecraft and Don't Starve, where Minecraft has the mob spawn and Don't Starve has Charlie lurking in the darkness. But this really amps it up. Like, once nighttime hits, you're the weakest one on the streets. Without a strategy, you're done. But to entice players to venture out, they give you XP bonuses that you receive when you're outside and get kills, and the longer you're out, the better bonus. And this helps with leveling up and getting better supplies. So there's reason to go out at night. It's not like they just added it to add it. They added it and then gave you incentive, which I think was awesome. Not to mention during nighttime, one thing that they add is like the multiplayer where actually during night, during when it's actually night in your game, all of a sudden your online system will be like, hey, someone came and invaded or something like that. And like you can become the monster and it's like a whole little like mini game type deal that goes on where you have to, it can be up to like four players versus another player who's like this volatile and you go and you have the unlock these prisms right i'm not 100 percent sure i forget the specifics of this game because actually you just bring it up reminding me that that was a thing I yeah so there was like four four things let's just be very vague about it four <laughs> things you had to unlock and just like in the single player game you had flares you had the flashlight to get them off you but this guy could almost one shot you unless you had other people helping you out you can obviously turn this mode off but there was one time where like i forgot i had it on and it just kind of scared the crap out of me when all of a sudden i'm like in the middle of doing something and the next thing i know there's a cutscene. i'm like what the hell is going on and then i'm in this new place i'm like where the hell oh right i'm on this multiplayer thing yeah, it can be fun every now and then, but I'm just glad they give you the option to like turn it off. Yeah, I think recalling, I played it a little bit, but I'm like, all right, I don't want to be stressed out every every time there's nighttime, so I turned mine off as well. But that was yeah. a really fun little game mode. I think when we had me, you, and Taylor, we all we wanted to try it because we we're like, hey, let's all three gang up on this dude. And whenever we all three played, we almost always won. But I think it's cool because it also while you're in the game your night cycle continues so if you're in there for like 
four or five minutes, you only have like five minutes left at nighttime too. So that's a that's a little kind of cool tidbit they did. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the praises of the game. Here's a little critiques that they have, which included the story, the difficulty, and the technical issues. Now for the story. A few game reviews mentioned that on the surface, Dying Light is a typical zombie game with a predictable story knife. Underneath, with game mechanics and co-op and all the other stuff, it was praised for making this game one of the best zombie games in recent years. But let's focus more on the part where it says typical zombie game with a predictable storyline. Now, it's hard to refute this because I'll be honest, it kind of does have a predictable storyline as you went through it and i'll have to admit i don't think it has a very strong storyline myself not saying that it's not intriguing by any means but it's not something where i was like oh i have to do the storyline it's kind of if i had to make a reference it's kind of like skyrim where it had a main storyline and you kind of did do the storyline to progress when you wanted to, but you were more interested around the world building that this game had to offer. And I think Dying Light did have a lot of, like, it was 38 side missions. We had the quarantines and other side objectives that you just wanted to do because you got to explore the land. You got to have some fun. So I think overall it did a good job. It was a great game, but I could, I would admit that the storyline wasn't, the main storyline wasn't the greatest. Yeah, I would agree. I think that it it really was predictable. I could tell certain parts where I'm just like, oh, this is probably going to happen, and then it happened, and it's like, all right, that makes sense. And with the whole, they had the whole tropes of, I was bitten, and like with Jade and crane it's like oh i was bitten too but you can have the antizen no you can have the antizen it's like predictable and kind of one-dimensional it's very flat it's nothing to write home about but like you said it's i think if there was a little just a little bit more to the game than just the storyline because everything added to it and made the game great so i could easily replay the game without playing the storyline and be satisfied it's just the one-sidedness, like, predictability of it just kind of was dull. And, like, like earlier, we just talked about the, the entire storyline in, like, 15, 20 minutes. It, it just didn't have a lot of depth to it. So I think this critique is pretty fair. The next thing they mentioned was the difficulty. And... There wasn't too much to go off of this, so I'm not 100% sure what they meant because this game has a lot of ways you can play it, so it's kind of hard to pinpoint what they meant. So, yeah, you could stay in a certain area and kind of overlevel yourself, per se, if you really wanted to, to, but I feel like even if you did that, the game kind of knew, and so as you progress, you still got better equipment and the bosses still match kind of your level at what you were currently at at that moment. So yeah, if you stayed in this area, the one area you were overleveling, yeah, sure, you could beat all the zombies easy. But as soon as you started to move on, the game's like, oh, you're level like 15 now. Now this boss is going to be level 16. 
So it's like, they kind of, they did that pretty well. So I'm not 100% sure what they meant by the difficulty. Was it too easy, too hard? What? Right. Yeah, I, when I was looking this up too, I could not find any specific article that would say what about the difficulty they didn't like. It only would say like, oh, we didn't like the difficulty. It's like, what, what don't you like? Because it's really hard to understand what you're looking for in a game without the specifics. So I thought the game started out hard. I mean, it was pretty difficult, but I would expect a game to be hard in the beginning. And once you continue on, it gets easier. You get better weapons, but you also get natural at the game. You know how to avoid zombies. You know like how far you have to be away to avoid their attacks and stuff like that. So with that aspect, it starts out hard, but you get better. And like you said, once you move on in the game, they scale up the zombies a little more too. Like once we got to Old Town, I believe it gives you a warning like, hey, the zombies here are stronger, faster, whatever. Be aware of that. So when you get to a new section, it scaled it for you. It made it, they tried to make it balanced at least. And I think with any game, like you could go play Skyrim and you will be very, it'll be very difficult in the beginning, but come towards the end of the game when you have daedric armor that takes down your mana usage by 95 percent with an enchantment and then you have a bunch of potions that just amplify everything like it just becomes easy so i think that's just the aspects of action games and even open world games where you have these side missions it's it's easy to overcome difficulty with some xp gains and stuff like that one quick thing before we move on. I also want to say, yeah, with the side quests, it's like there are certain side quests that give you good rewards. So it's like, oh, if you complete the side quest, next thing you know, the next three missions were like super easy because you have like this overpowered weapon pretty much at your current level. But then all of a sudden you'll hit a brick wall and it's like, oh, crap. Now my overpowered weapon is either almost broken so I can't use it or all of a sudden... Now the enemies are as strong as my weapon. So it's like, ooh. So it's kind of, I guess they didn't like that the difficulty could fluctuate based on what you did outside the main mission, which, like you mentioned Skyrim, it's pretty much almost open world. So it's going to be hard or easy depending on how you play it. So there's no real way to tone or upscale that difficulty. I think they did a good job. Yeah, I would agree. I think this was not a good critique of the game. And the final thing they had to mention is technical issues. And to be honest with you, every game is going to have technical issues. It doesn't matter if you're a AAA game or an indie game. And honestly, other than trying to connect to each other in-game, which we still don't know if it was our internet or not, it I didn't really have any bugs portions mm-hmm. or anything like i mentioned you can turn off the night portion of online or not allow people to join your session you could set it to private and no one will join you because when i didn't have it on private people joined and left me left and right now the only thing would be kind of annoying is when someone joined or left the game kind of buffered for a few seconds but i mean it kind of has to do that someone's joining connecting to your server or leaving your server because you're hosting it so it's like yeah what are they supposed to do to fix that like oh you have to make sure you have the highest internet you need 
freaking one terabyte upload speed so you don't have any leg issues at all. Like, that's not realistic. I, I don't... I think they were just nitpicking at this point. Agreed. Yeah, it... Like you said, we had connection issues. I remember when we would try to connect to each other's game, it'd be you, me, and Taylor all joining the same game together. And for some reason, it would only let two of us be connected to the same game, and the third person would be kicked, or it would be in limbo to where it wouldn't connect at all. And the only time we could ever get it to work was if two of us connected to the other, like one person's game at the exact same time, and every so often it would work and connect us both almost simultaneously. I don't know if that was a workaround. I don't know if that was, like you said, our internet messing with us or if it was the game's problem. Don't know it to this day if it was even a technical issue of the game's fault. So from my experience, I had very few technical issues, whether it be like glitches or freezing and stuff like that. But I've had so many more technical issues when it came to other games loading and buffering just in larger maps and stuff where you try to go outside and the world just freezes with this game i didn't really have those issues as much as maybe other people have so i can't say that this critique was based in fact from my experience like i said they could have been nitpicking at it because it did kind of have more universal claim to it so they could have at this point just been nitpicking at it we both didn't really have any huge issues besides like we said when we all three of us were trying to get together and we don't like we said we don't know if it was our internet because taylor and joshua were on the same like ip i guess address and i was on a different one so maybe one of our internets couldn't actually host it as well who knows yeah still be it'll any... be a mystery to this day <laughs> anything else you have to say uh, no, I think that about sums it up. Alright, so that pretty much discusses our praises and critiques for Dying Light. And I would like to leave you with the most classic question for zombies is, what's your zombie outbreak plan? That's a good question. I like that one. I want to hear people's responses to this. Everyone has thought about it. I don't think it's something that normal people probably think about, but I like to think most of us aren't normal. Everyone has a zombie plan. <laughs> Especially with this quarantine going on. Oh Let's be gosh. real. This this definitely made you rethink your zombie plan. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's like, oh, my God, what if what if it's not zombies, but what if it's a, just a pandemic that wipes out the world? It's, it's Everyone has that little moment where they're like, what would I do? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. I would like to hear your guys' responses. So, with that, I guess I'll give you guys the facts. So, the virus that plagues Haran is a strain of the rabies virus. And I don't remember in the gameplay of the game if we ever actually get a definitive answer of what this virus is. But Dying Light's Twitter page posted that, so I have to believe that is true. <laughs> um, the day-night cycle was actually originally intended for Dead Island, but obviously it got moved on to Dying Light. In the first 45 days after its release, 
3.2 million people played Dying Light, making it the most popular game that Techland has developed. Uh, when released in Japan, this one's a fun one. When released in Japan, the blood was actually reskinned to be green due to Japan's censorship. And looking at pictures of this, it is really weird. It looks like aliens were just murdered all over the streets of Haran. <laughs> That'd be uh, interesting to uh, watch or at least see a couple of videos on. Right. Um, but Before we sign off, I just want to say, uh, again, I mentioned it last week, but on Sunday last week, I was in another podcast, A Man on a Mattress Who Watches Movies. I just wanted to let you guys know that again. I was a guest there, and I wanted you guys to go check it out. We discussed Ready Player One, and uh, this is a podcast about all uh, about films, and it's hosted by my brother, Derek, who is a fan of all things film and filmmaking. So go give that a watch and check out his channel or his podcast. And... With that being said, that will wrap up this spooky <laughs> Weep Spawn episode. And don't worry, we'll have plenty of spooky more to yes. come throughout this whole month. We have a whole month of spooky. I've been your host, Bobby. And I'm Joshua. And we will see you next time when we Weep Spawn.